Well, greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I'm your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is a feature episode with Abir Mukherjee. Now, uh, Abir is one of the Seven Criminal Minds authors, a panel blog that uh, he and I both belong to. But more prominently than that, he is the award-winning, best-selling author of the Wyndham and Banerjee uh, series of historical crime fiction. Uh, It is set during the Raj period in uh, India. Uh, Sam Wyndham is a British police officer, and he is uh, partnered Banerjee, who is uh, an Indian sergeant. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his podcast. We're going to talk about the state of the world. And uh, trust me, you probably chuckle once or twice along the way because one thing that's true about a beer for sure is uh, he is a funny guy. Uh, and of course, he's Scottish. So that almost goes without saying that there's a sense of humor there. I really enjoyed my conversation with him. Uh, and uh, I think you will too. But uh, before uh, we talk to Abir, we have a little business to take care of. Let's hear from Lance Wright at Down and Out Books, uh, because uh, Down and Out Books is the sponsor of this program. Uh, They are a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of which comes from the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. Now, uh, if that sounds like something you dig, then uh, you can learn more by going to their website at downandoutbooks.com. That's Down and Out Books all spelled out, dot com, down and out books, take the journey with us. Uh, For a little more on that, including what is hot from the publisher uh, in May, let's talk to Lance Wright. Hi, Frank, and thanks for having me to talk about this month's new titles from Down and Out Books. Let's start with a new techno thriller from Nick Corpin titled Radicals. When a mysterious cyber-terrorist organization begins erasing Americans' medical debt, FBI cybercrimes agent Jay Brodsky must confront everything he knows when the trail leads to his own family. Next up is the third and final entry in the Scotland Ross crime thriller trilogy by Jeff Hess, Rough House. Betrayal, smoking guns, and a future strangled in revenge's cold grip make it for a rough trip for Scotland. And the next day, things get worse. Finally, Dana King has a new Penns River crime novel leaving the scene. The local police department has a new chief, deputy chief, and several new officers, but crime pays no attention to the changing cast of characters and the roles they play. Thanks again, Frank, and we'll check in with you again next month. All right. Thank you, Lance. Uh, Some great books to consider, folks, available here in the month of May at Down and Out Books. Uh, Well, now let's move into our conversation uh, with Abir Mukherjee. I got to tell you, like I said, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think you'll be able to tell. uh, You know, I I chuckled quite a bit. Um, But uh, we also talked about some serious topics. And uh, Abir is a smart guy. He's a thoughtful guy. And I think you're going to find what he has to say pretty interesting. Well, hey, Abir, welcome to the show. Hey, Frank, it's an absolute honor to be on. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here. It's actually not the first time we've talked on a podcast. Uh, you had me on your program uh, some months ago. Is, is, that, is that why you've invited me on, Frank? Is that the reason? <laughs> I'd like to uh, enter into evidence this email that I sent you long before your invitation, proving, Your Honor, that I, in fact, did invite Abir uh, Mukherjee on Wrong Place, Right Crime before I was invited on Red Hot Chili Red. Writers, can you please uh, <laughs> render well, a decision? <laughs> I forgot you're a you're an law enforcement man. You know all of this. You can prove anything with the facts, can't you, Frank? Can't yeah, you? yeah. You got to know the facts and make them work. Make them work for you. But no, I had a great time on your podcast, and and uh, you and and your your running partner there have a real good. You have a real good uh, partnership. Real good. You you play off of each other well. Your personality types. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's 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 fun to do our podcast called the uh, Red Hot Chili Writers, and it's me and uh, my friend Vasim Khan, who's also a writer. Um, he writes cozy crime mainly, um, but yeah, it's it's actually Stockholm syndrome. Um, basically, I feel like uh, you know, you know, when a when a when a um, hostage ends up identifying with his captor, mm-hmm. it's a bit. That's how I feel working with Vasim. <laughs> um, but no, no, seriously, it's good. For them. <laughs> 
Well, mm-hmm. I, I, it was interesting because like you're, you're pretty freewheeling and pretty jocular and, you know, kind of, uh, uh, I, I would say pleasantly sarcastic in some cases. And Vasim is like very much like, Hey, we have a schedule here. We're supposed to be talking about this right now. Let's get back online. And then he asks really good questions. Uh, and so it's really a counterpoint of personality there. I think that's what makes it work so well. It is. He's, he's the grown up. in, in the <laughs> Um, yeah, he's the one that does the hard work. I, I, I tell him that I'm the good looking one, but, um, on podcast, who believes me? No one. So there you are. Well, you don't have to prove it on the podcast. So that's good. <laughs> so, well, well, I need, I need to get a Vaseem for this, uh, for this podcast, obviously then. Well, if you must, I'm, I'm sure he'll be on, you know, he, he never, he never turns up in invitations. Yeah. But he's a fantastic writer. I should say for for your audience. Um, he writes two series. Um, one is, uh, set in current day India, which is the baby Ganesh series. So he has a detective called Inspector Chopra who has a baby elephant, uh, as his sidekick. Uh, and that's, that's really good fun. Um, and his new series is set in the 50s, uh, again in Bombay, um, featuring a detective called, detective called Persis Wadia, who is the first uh, female Indian detective. I don't know why I'm, I'm giving him so many plugs. You, you see what I mean? <laughs> I, um, but there you are. No, but uh, I would recommend his books to, to all of your listeners. And they're cozies, essentially? Uh, the first series is the second series. Um, he saw he saw me writing historical crime, you see, and he thought, "Oh, that must be easy because I've here can do." And so his second series is a bit more grown up, and it's it's historical. Um, he's, never, never had a, he's never had an independent idea since he met me, quite frankly. <laughs> well, that's an excellent segue. You're you're clearly a professional podcaster because that does segue very well into. Uh, your uh, Wyndham and Banerjee series, which is historical crime fiction. Um, and, you know, I, I, for those who aren't familiar with it, uh, which, you know, might not be a lot of people, it's a, been a best-selling and award-winning series. Uh, who is Sam Wyndham and uh, his sidekick, Banerjee? Well, well Sam is a, um, he's a British detective. He's ex-Scotland Yard. Um, the, he's a survivor of the First World War. So the books are set in the 20s. Now, he, he's come through the trenches and, and that's really opened his eyes. Um, you know, in Britain, we have, we, we're still quite class conscious, but, you know, back then, essentially, British society was so structured that you just listened to whatever your betters, your superiors told you. And then Sam went through that war and realised that everything he'd been taught w- was nonsense. Um, so he survives that and he has PTSD, he comes back to Britain and his, you know, his wife has died in the flu epidemic. And suddenly he finds himself, he, he's ad- addicted to morphine. And he finds himself, you know, essentially he gets this job offer in India and he goes to Calcutta because it is slightly preferable to suicide. Um, It's his last roll of the dice. He goes as a damaged man uh, and there he teams up with an Indian sergeant who is, you know, his name is Surendranath Banerjee. Uh, But being British, obviously, we can't pronounce names longer than one syllable. So he's known as Surrender Not by his colleagues. Um, and the two of them really start this relationship, uh, which develops over time. At the beginning, it is obviously, you know, the, the British superior officer and the Indian junior. And also that reflects the, the political system of the time. You know, an Indian, despite his intelligence or whatever qualifications he would have, would never be the equal of, of a white man. Um, and through the books, you know, there are, there are now four in the series. The fifth one's coming out later this year. We look at the we look at a lot of crimes, but we're also really looking at the history of India, and we're looking at the the lives of these two men as they change over that period. That was too long. I do apologize, Frank. You've gone to sleep, haven't you? No, 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 not at all. Actually, I'm fascinated. Um, a few things uh, I think are really exciting about the, what you just described. I mean, the the path of the broken and damaged man, uh, you know, on a, uh, a journey of of uh, well, first saving himself and then maybe redeeming himself a little bit. That's classic, you know, crime fiction, classic noir. I love it. Uh, but you've said it in a time and a place that, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a history major. I love history, but it's it's in a gap in my historical knowledge. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking forward. I haven't started this series yet. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to to diving into it because I feel like uh, I'm going to get a little bit of an education, you know, kind of uh, accidentally on purpose while reading it. Well, you're not the only person to say that. And you, you are right about that gap in history. And, and 
being British, that gap still exists here. We don't learn about that period in British colonial history. You know, the 20s and 30s, we learn more about German history and Italian history than we do about our own history. Uh, and so we have a very sort of one-sided view of our history. Um, I like to think that we are, we're probably... Uh, yeah, we are probably the best managers of our own history. Um, I think the Americans, you Americans, are probably second to us. Um, but, but we've done such a good job of whitewashing our history and believing uh, our one-sided view of our history. But, you know, that, that leads to problems for a country. I, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, Brexit, which happened last year, the causes of that are, are myriad. But part of it is because we have a very sort of romanticised idea of our own history, which isn't true. You, know, you just have to look at the American War of Independence to know that our history isn't as true as we make it out. But um, but a lot of people believe, I think over half the population still believe that the empire was a force for good in the world. Um, but when you look at the facts, when you grow up knowing the other side of the story, um, as I do, because my, my parents came from India. So I would go to school and I would learn something. I would come home and I would tell my dad, I learned this today. And he would go, it's very good. It's wrong. Uh, and half the time he'd be right and half the time school would be right. And and so, you know, I, I grew up stuck between these two different versions of history. Um, and really writing this series was was my way of trying to make sense of that, trying to square the circle. Almost, I started writing this as therapy, to be honest with you, Frank, um, just trying to make sense of that period in our history while killing people along the way, obviously. Well, uh, it was interesting to meet you because, you know, you are, um, you know, born in Scotland or, or a Scottish. Anyway. Actually, I'm screwing all this up. Were you born in Scotland? I don't want to screw that I was, up. I was, was born in London, but as okay. we say in Scotland, uh, just because you're born in a stable doesn't make you a horse. Um, so <laughs> my parents moved to Scotland when I was about two or three. Okay. Um, my father basically looked at a map and said, what's the coldest, wettest place I could raise a family? Uh, and he'd not been to uh, Seattle or, or Portland at that point. He never heard of them. So it had to be Glasgow. <laughs> so you're you're raised in Scotland, uh, you know, you're UK uh, citizen with Indian heritage, you know, first generation. You know, I mean, you said you wrote it as as therapy, but it also you know puts you in a very good position to write with that knowledge and and that knowledge that comes with kind of being able to see both sides and experiencing both sides. I mean, I think that's a very unique and powerful position for you to be in as an author. No, I think you're right. And I think I am what you call a fish out of water. And I think a lot of the time crime authors are. Um, and it allows us to see more than one perspective. Um, it also means that we're never certain about anything um, because you grew up from a very early age with, um, with seeing two very different sides. There's, nothing, there's no certainty in your life. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Um, I'm always scared of the people who are certain of things. I'm, I'm always on the side of people who, who don't, don't feel they know what they're doing uh, and have that uncertainty, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. The series, um, like you said, it's four books now with the fifth book coming out in November. Uh, it's won awards. Uh, it's done pretty well. Um, so you have to feel good about that. I feel I feel really lucky. Um, to be honest with you, when I, when I started writing the series, when I started writing the first book, A Rising Man, um, I was writing this in 2014. I'd never written anything before, um, and you know, I was I was scared. I didn't think I was good enough to write. I didn't think I could write. Um, you know, before I started things, before and I'd write I'd write a chapter or two, and then I would make the mistake of reading that. And I'd think, oh, this is awful, and I'd put it in a drawer. And, and you know, life gets in the way. I'd get on with life. I'd get on with the job and looking after family and stuff. But then I think when I was 39, turning 40, I had this idea to, to send this British detective to India. And I started writing it, and I wrote the first 10,000 words. And then I made the same mistake I always do. I read those words, <laughs> and they were awful, and I put it in a drawer. Um, but then something really, you know, wonderful happened. I saw an article in a newspaper um, Penguin Random House were looking for new crime writers um, and all you needed to do was submit the first 5,000 words of a novel. Um, and that appealed to me because I'm lazy and I'd already done the work. Um, so I just tidied up the first 5,000 words, sent it away. I didn't expect anything because, as I said, I'd never submitted anything before. 
But then about three months later, out of the blue, I, I got an email saying, congratulations, uh, you've won and we're going to publish your novel. Um, and I, I reacted the way anybody from Glasgow does when you have good news. I just started swearing my head off. My work colleagues thought I was having a heart attack, uh, but I had to tell them, no, it's good news. But I didn't have a novel. I had these 10,000 rotten words <laughs> in the drawer. Um, but really, that was the beginning, and I've been very, very fortunate that you know people have taken to the books um, first here, and then in America, um, and then in other parts of the world, including India, which was um, which was really gratifying, actually. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been I pinch myself to be honest with you, Frank, just to be able to do this, uh, and to have been able to give up the day job of being an accountant, um, you know. So uh, I, I'm I'm very grateful. Well, you may have only had 10,000 words at that point, but you had a really good idea and you had the background knowledge to, to make that idea work. And so I, I'm not surprised at all, uh, actually. I, I don't I have to... <laughs> you are. <laughs> so uh, this series, uh, like we mentioned, it's it's uh, coming up on five books now. Uh, in fact, the fifth book, Shadows of Men, uh, that comes out on 11-11 of 21, which uh, here in the U.S., that's Veterans Day. But uh, uh, most people in Europe, uh, or actually in a lot of places in the world, that's Armistice Day, the day that uh, World War I, the truce occurred that uh, basically ended World War I. Mm -hmm. That's right, Remembrance Day. Yeah. And, and so is there, uh, was, did it just happen to end up on the 11th, or was that purposeful? I know that that happened um, really by scheduling, I'll be honest with you. Um, having said that, you know, the books do have political messages. You know, that's really what motivates me to write. It's the it's this urge to scratch what it, whatever itch is bothering me. Um, so, for example, book four, half of it is set in India in 1922, but half of it is set in the UK in 1905, mm -hmm. uh, because the thing that was you know, really bugging me at the time was the the rise of intolerance. And I, I personally think this country is at its best when we are open and tolerant. Uh, and we have a good good history of that, of immigration and integration. But every 30 or 40 years, intolerance raises its head. And we're seeing it across the globe. We're seeing it in, in places like India. We, we're seeing it in Europe. We're seeing it in America. And really, the fourth book was my attempt to say, look, we've been here before. And and we have we are a better nation when we are open and tolerant. Um, this fifth book uh, deals with uh, Muslim and Hindu violence. So there's a you know there's a, there's a murder of a Hindu theologian at the beginning, which triggers race riots, uh, religious riots rather across India, uh, and Sam and Surin need to to figure out who's behind it. But really, the, the subtext of that is my criticism of what's going on in India right now, which is you have the, the rise of this hardline Hindu nationalist government. Um, and, you know, India, if there's one, if it's had one thing going for it, it's that it's been a secular democracy since independence. And that secularism seems to be being eroded right now. Um, and that for me is a huge worry because even though I am British and Scottish, uh, my heritage is Indian and, and it, it hurts me to see that rise of, you know, religious bigotry that's occurring there. Sorry, that got a wee bit heavy, didn't it, Frank? I do apologize. <laughs> not at all, oh, not at all. Your parents, it's the home of your parents. I mean, it's not just the old country. It's its the home of your parents. And that's, uh, that's I mean, my, my great-grandfather came from Italy. And so I see Italy as the old country. But I don't have the same affinity that I would have if it was my, you know, father's land. Like if he had moved here uh, from yeah. there. So I, I get it. But you, you've still got those Italian good looks, Frank. All I've got is Indian chicken legs. It's not quite the same. I think, I think you've got the end of the blue there. Well, you got the, the Scottish accent uh, uh, to make up for it. So, I mean, that, that pretty much trumps everything else. I could I could work in a call center with this voice, Frank. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think you could work in a lot of places uh, that, that are voice dependent. Well, and speaking of Scotland, and uh, you know, you grew up there, but you are living in London now. When uh, when did that move happen? For my sins, um, I, I actually moved down here. Oh God, too long ago now, about twenty years ago. Um, I moved down here with my job. Um, I was originally going to come down for three years, but then I met my wife, 
uh, and she's from South Africa. So um, London is cold enough for her. There's no way I'm getting her back. <laughs> Um, she's told me that. So, yeah, so ever since then, I have been fighting this sort of guerrilla campaign uh, to, to move us back to Scotland, uh, and I'm losing. However, um, the First Minister of Scotland, a, a woman called Nicola Sturgeon, um, she's a fan of the books. Uh, and, and so uh, she interviewed me once, and she said, so why, why are you still in England? And I said, it's because of my wife. Uh, so every now and then, um, when the weather is good in Scotland, I get a, a text message from the First Minister saying, Tell your wife this bright sunshine today. <laughs> so you know, the highest levels of government in Scotland are working on my behalf. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> All right, we will get back to our conversation with Abir Mukherjee uh, here in just a moment. But now is the time where I like to turn things over to the experts. And by experts, I mean, well, in this case, other writers who are going to recommend uh, some books to you. Uh, I'd like to do that every episode, give you some uh, books to think about, something new to maybe discover, uh, and who knows better than other writers. Uh, so without further ado, uh, let's hear from Danny Gardner, David Wyden, Dick Wybrow, and because we can't have everybody's first name start with D, Jonathan Brown. Hi, this is Danny Gardner, author of uh, Negro and Anofe, and now Ace Boom Coon, the Tales of Elliot Caprice series. And uh, what I'm reading lately are some of my fellow Bronzeville books authors, like Les Edgerton and his novel Hard Times, which is burning up the bestseller lists somewhere and doing quite well. And also check out Nikki Dolson's Love and Other Criminal Behavior. She just made it into one of the best ofs over there in New York City. And now you can get a whole 13 collection from Bronzeville. So check them out. Hey, this is David Heska Wombly Wyden, and I'm delighted to be chatting here today. And I just want to give a book recommendation for a fantastic new book. It is called Pickard County Atlas. And it just came out by Chris Harding Thornton. Pick it up. I guarantee that you will enjoy it. Thank you. Hey, this is Dick Weibrow. And uh, my recommendation would be Dennis Lahane. Um, hopefully you've read some of his stuff. Shutter Island, Mystic River. Um, I also enjoy Gone Baby Gone. Just getting into this sort of gritty world, meeting these two uh, private investigators as you're stumbling through and all the facets um, of that life in Boston. You feel like you feel like you're a neighbor listening in for what's happening next door, if it's a very violent next door. But check that out. It's a fantastic book. I mean, written, amazingly written, and the characters just shine. Hey, everybody. This is Jonathan Brown, author of Don't Shoot the Drummer and Travel Money. Uh, I would highly recommend, it's been out there for a while, November Road by Lou Burney. Uh, what I really liked about the book is the tension of the mystery. Lou Burney keeps up the, he keeps the pedal to the metal on the mystery, and he weaves it in with uh, an event that actually happened, which was the, uh, the Kennedy assassina assassination. So he handles those two, those two things very well, an event that happened and uh, the fiction side of it with his characters. So, um, yeah, I couldn't put it down. All right. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, some, some great recommendations. Uh, if any of those grab your fancy, just check them out. Um, like I've said many a time, uh, if, if another writer tells you a book is well-written, uh, then uh, you can count on it. The, you might not dig the story or the character, it might not be your cup of tea, but it's going to be quality writing for sure. Uh, and now uh, let's get back to our conversation with a beer. And I'm not uh, familiar with the uh, the exact government structure there. So first minister, what would be the equivalent of that? Uh, uh... Well, it, 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 there is no really, well, I'll put it this way. So we have, the United Kingdom is made up of four um, 
I wouldn't say kingdoms. There are two main kingdoms. There's the Kingdom of England and Scotland. You have the Principality of Wales and you have the province of Northern Ireland. Um, each of those, so we have the government of the UK, which uh, is headed by the Prime Minister, who is a clown called Boris Johnson. Um, and each of the countries other than England has a devolved government that looks after um, matters such as health and, and a lot of things that re relate to the country itself. Um, and that government of Scotland is headed up by the First Minister. Oh, okay. um, and so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's kind, of like, kind of like a governor of a state sort of in the US, but probably higher yeah. profile. Yeah, except that you know this is this is a governor that is trying to secede constantly from the nation. <laughs> well, that so, was going to um, be my next question to yeah. you. Is there's been a secessionist movement there ebbing and flowing in Scotland yeah. for quite a long time, and where's that at right now? Well, this is it. It's it's now for the first time the opinion polls are pointing to a majority wanting independence. Now we we had a we had a, a referendum about five years ago. Uh, in which 45% voted for independence and 55 voted to stay within the Union of the United Kingdom. Having said that, the nationalists on, uh, of the Scottish National Party essentially control the Scottish government, uh, and they believe that after the next set of local elections or Scottish elections, uh, they may push for another uh, referendum. Uh, simply because the vast majority of people in Scotland voted to remain inside the EU, whereas the, the majority of people in England voted to leave. So, and that's why we got Brexit. Um, and, and that's part of the, the problem. You see, the Scots um, you know, are, are a smaller nation than the English by far. There's only about five and a half million Scots and there's about 55 million or more English people. Um, but but the, Scots, the Scots like to feel that they're sort of, you know, we're, we're better in certain ways. You know, we have a culture that spreads to America and New Zealand and whatever. Um, so so we feel hard done by sometimes, um, especially when, when decisions are taken which the, the majority of Scottish people don't agree with. Uh, and yet we have to go along with things like, um, you know, pulling out of Europe. Um, so who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be an interesting couple of years. The problem really is, Frank, that the two nations have been, you know, combined since 1707. Mm -hmm. and, right? that, and that wasn't a conquest either. That was an actual decision by well, the Scottish government, right? Well, yeah, but this is the thing, you know, it, it actually goes back further than that. So, so the, the English were trying to conquer the Scots for pretty much all of a thousand years. And then what happened in the end was that um, Queen Elizabeth I of England had no heirs. So um, Mary Queen of Scots, her son, James VI, was the closest uh, relative to Elizabeth. So the King of Scotland became the King of England. Uh, very quickly re realised that London's much less drafty than Edinburgh. Uh, and he moved out there. Um, and then about, you know, 100 years later or less than 100 years later, actually it goes back to North America or Central America. Scotland was never a, a rich country. Um, so the whole country put its cash together. When the English were building their colonies in North America, the Scots decided to build a or uh, create a colony in what is now Panama. Uh, in, in something called the Darien Peninsula, which is probably the worst place on earth for a Scotsman to be. It's hot, it's malarial, it's the opposite of Scotland. And so the entire country's wealth was plump, was, was, was put into this one colony. Uh, and everybody died in about the space of a year. So, and then the country was, was close to bankruptcy, or at least the, 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 the rich folk or the nobility were close to bankruptcy. And the English Parliament basically said, look, we'll bail you out if you sign this Act of Union. And so there was uh, the Scottish Parliament dissolved itself, um, merged with the, the English Parliament to form the United Kingdom. And part of that was all of these men who'd lost all their money in, Dari in the Darien project got bailed out. So, yeah, our history is, is quite, was quite shocking. And from that Act of Union in 1707 stem most of the world's current problems today. Uh, when the Scots and the English stopped hitting each other and started hitting other people, um, that's when things got really complicated. <laughs>
Well, that's all fascinating. I, uh, you know, most people's, uh, outside of Scotland, their knowledge of history probably comes from Braveheart, which is very very good movie, very factually questionable. Uh, But, uh, you would say though, there's still a very distinct Scottish culture uh, as opposed to English culture, despite the fact that we live in such a small world today and there's so much proximity, it's still pretty well-defined uh, difference. Yeah, I mean, I, I would describe it similar to, if you take Canada, you have French Canadians and, and sort of English-speaking Canadians, and the, the French Canadians are a minority, um, but because they are a minority, they feel like they have to uphold their culture more strongly than the majority. So you can't define a Scotsman without reference to the English, but you can do it the other way around. And, and you know, the English identity is not dependent upon Scotland, whereas the Scottish identity and Scottish history is dependent on, you know, the position of England. Um, so the Scots are very, very proud of their history and they, they, they maintain their history because they are a minority and a distinct minority. But Scotland has its own laws. It has its own judges. Um, we have a parliament. Um, this is great. I, I, I wear many hats. I, love call, I can call myself we when we talk about Britain, Scotland, India. Bengal. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very schizophrenic that way. Um, but, you know, that's that's what you get when you grow up in sort of multiple cultures. Well, and it's I think, it's, again, it goes back to why you think you're so well equipped to write this exact series, because you choose to look at the different perspectives that are available to you. And, and you know, one thing, I, I mean, we, we don't know each other very well. We've only spoken a couple of times, but in the times that we have spoken, it's been really clear to me that you are a very contemplative person. And I mean, you try to poo-poo that a little bit out of uh, humility, but, you know, let's it's make sense. You're telling me I've got no friends. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. <laughs> I just, I just mean that uh, you know you obviously think about these things and and contemplate them and and do so with a both a critical and an open mind and and so I think that's why you get the, the kind of results that you get um, and and you know I, to me that's heartening because you know I mean maybe I'm treading on dangerous ground here but if anybody wanted to be pissed off and rigid in their thinking it could be you you could be pissed off and rigid in your thinking because you're a Scot and you know the fucking English you know I mean you could be that way about it you could have the same stance based on your indian heritage and and i'm not saying you wouldn't be justified in either one i'm just kind of saying that it probably wouldn't be productive and healthy for you you (laughs) you're you're right and and i'm always one to tread on dangerous ground that's where the funds to be had frank so so don't don't worry about that but to answer your question you know another writer uh, a scottish writer said to me why are you not more angry um, when you think about, you know, what's been done in, in history, why, why are you not more angry? And I think, as you say, I think being angry, one, being angry is counterproductive a lot of the time. And secondly, it's exhausting. Yeah. Um, if I want to change minds, if I want to change people's opinions, I can't do it by threatening them or or being antagonistic or even shaming them. What, what's the point in that? That doesn't help. I much prefer the approach that, you know, you've, you've got to reach out to people. You've got to reach out to common ground. And sitting between cultures, as I do, it, it's easier to reach that common ground because I know that nobody is completely good or completely evil. I think in the present world, in the world we live in today, we tend to demonize people who disagree with us, not just foreigners, but you look at what's happening in our politics on both sides of the Atlantic. You know, we, 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 we've reached this point where our politics matter more than anything else. And, and we demonize and we dehumanize people who disagree with us. And that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my approach has always been, even in these books, you know, I don't criticize anyone. I, I look at what happened to the British and I look at what happened to the Indians and I look at it dispassionately. Well, I look at it with humor, but but really I'm not out to criticize anybody. And I think that's one of the reasons why, why people like the books. You know, people write to me from India saying, What's refreshing is that you're not apologizing. Um, you know, when, when British writers tend to write about India these days, they tend to do it as apologists and, and feel they need to apologize for this history. And, and first, Indians don't want apologies. You know, this is, this is the 21st century. India's moved on. 
what they're looking for is, is a story like anybody else. Uh, and they find that really refreshing. I mean, what I what I tend to get is, you know, the two people I pick on the most or the two races that I pick on the most are the Scots and the Bengalis. And, you know, Bengal is this province of India where my family's from. Um, and, and again, it has a distinct culture. And, and Bengalis, when they read the books, they say to me, you're very cruel to the Scots. And, and the Scots say to me, they read the book and, and they laugh at the depiction of the Scots, but they, they, they then turn to me and say, you're really horrible to the Bengalis. <laughs> and I'm like, well, these are the two people I love the most, these are the cultures that I love the most, and these are the two that I make fun of. And, and people, I found, they quite enjoy being made fun of. If you point out the, the hypocrisies in themselves and you do it in a, a loving and a funny way, people like that. They're, they're always more scared about how other people will react to what you're saying about them. So, you know, it's been, it's been, it's been a fun experience. And, and I would say, look, there's a place for anger. If we didn't have anger, we wouldn't have change. But at the same time, you can't be angry all the time. If you want to convince people that, you know, that change is required, you need to do that subtly and you need to do that. You need to take them with you on that journey. Uh, and, and humor and love... And reaching out to people um, is what you need for that. We've got very philosophical, haven't we, Frank? <laughs> well, there's room for that. There's definitely room for that. You know, I think, uh, you know, the, the problem is that uh, we don't allow for for being wrong ourselves or for, for our perspective not being 100% accurate. And, and people get locked into their perspective to the point of dogma. And, and then, you know, they, they become entrenched and, and then it's, it's not about having a conversation. It's about waiting for your turn to talk or waiting for your turn or planning for your, uh, you know, repost to their thrust and, and, and so on and so forth. And, uh, using humor as you're describing and being f fairly willing to poke that fun at, at everybody, uh, that breaks some barriers. And I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. No, I think you're right. And and you're, you're right about this issue of believing we're right. It's very easy for me because I'm wrong most of the time. So I, I don't have that self-belief that I, I am right. Um, so, so yeah, but yeah, I think if we are, we have to get back to a, a position where we recognize the humanity in people that we disagree with. And, and the way to change people's opinions is to meet them halfway rather than always trying to win. And that, that, to me, is the biggest issue that we've probably faced today. What, what are we doing in the West? What are we doing in these societies where we, we demonize people of our own country that disagree with us? I mean, there, there are people out there that I, I disagree with so vehemently that I, I, I don't know how, how to you know, meet them halfway. I mean, you know, I, I get that, that there's that 1% or whatever extremist view that's so polarly opposite of mine. But I don't think the majority of people reside on those fringes. I think most people reside closer to the middle, which makes that's it very possible to do exactly what you're describing. All you need is a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> you can read out to, I reckon, a good 75% of the population, Frank. <laughs> But the other the other twenty five percent's gonna get uh, be an angry drunk, and then <laughs> I didn't say I knew like all the answers. If you can get some of the answers, that's great because nobody seems to have any at all. Hey, you know, I was going to mention that uh, the way you and I actually met, so to speak, is uh, we both ended up on the same uh, 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 blog, Seven Criminal Minds, which is, I, I guess, a panel blog would be a, a way to describe it yeah. um and um i didn't realize you you had only been there not that not terribly long before i arrived no i, I thought you were there before me I've, I've only been on what 18 months now no you were definitely there when i got there um when jim ziskin uh kind of he he sponsored me i guess you could say and put my name for it or whatever he he mentioned you um when he yeah, was telling me about it near to you then so you have to call me big brother you got you got yeah that, I yeah i know <laughs> the the setup for that is you know everybody blogs one day out of 14 uh, every other week and um i think you're friday right yeah fridays are the worst days when are you frank i'm a tuesday you... i'm a tuesday you can make good points on a tuesday people are still listening you're thinking well, well, this is the thing. The, the, the format of the, the, the blog is that there's a weekly question and, and whoever is on each day has to answer that question for that week. So all of the, the, the insightful uh, answers tend to be done by Wednesday. 
Um, any point that I might have is definitely gone by Thursday. It's been said at least twice, right? So I'm left with this position where, you know, and this, it took me a while to figure this out. You know, I can either just write what I was going to write, okay, and then but everyone's read it already because they've made those points themselves, or I can just go off script and just write nonsense, um, which is tangentially linked to whatever the question is. And that's just working very well. Well, it's because it's funny. I mean, you, well, I you write some of the more humorous posts on there. That's because all, all the serious points have been made. I've got nowhere else to go. I, you know, it's the it's the last refuge of the scoundrel, Frank, is, is humor. <laughs> well, I thought the last refuge of the scoundrel was blogging. Um, <laughs> it's, uh... it's blogging on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, blogging has an interesting history because, I mean, there was a time when, you know, the the people who were supposedly in the know about promotions i mean it was all about blogs you know go on a blog tour you got to have a blog it's more important than your homepage and on your website and this kind of thing and you know clearly that's not the case anymore but uh, there's still a lot of blogs out there now do you have or participate in any others besides seven criminal lines no i just i just do this and and i'll tell you why it's because as i've said i am lazy um i i <laughs> best of intentions to do things but the only thing the only reason this blog is good for me or the, the reason that this blog works for me is that i'm scared of of kathy uh, ace and, and and some of the other writers so i know if i don't do it i will get into big trouble if it was just my own blog i wouldn't do it i haven't written my own newsletter for two years half of the people that signed up for my newsletter are dead now um they're still waiting for a, a letter from me so um yeah this this is the great thing about this blog i know i have to do it i have to get do you know i don't know when when do you write your blog pieces do you do uh, it like I'm, I'm way out in advance i mean we're, we're we're recording this on the 13th of april and i my i have next tuesday and then two tuesdays in may and all three are queued up and done see i hate you you know when i do mine the night before no, seven thirty in the morning on a Friday. <laughs> How can you get three weeks in advance? Well, it, it's the exact opposite of what you're dealing with. It's uh, you know, it's the the Tuesday curse, right? I mean, I have to come. I have if I if there's some obvious answers to these questions yeah. that are, that smart people are, are going to come up with, and I and I get like second crack at them. I mean, and I don't do a good job of it. I mean, Susan Shea, I think, is uh, right before me. And so she's going to nail, you know, two thirds of them right out of the chute. And that just leaves one third for me if, to, to originate. And, uh, and, and there may be some that apply to me that don't apply to her because of our different backgrounds or what we write and stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I don't nail those people who are like, well, yeah, that was, that was, why didn't you talk about this? It's the low hanging fruit. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I make sure and get it done in advance and just, uh, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to talk about haven't been taken. And, um, so there's a, there's probably a message here for your listeners. What, what I would say listeners is if you want a reasoned thought through argument or, or you want to learn about writing, you know, read Frank's posts on a Tuesday. If you're coming in from the pub on, you know, you're hungover on a Friday, you know, and you just want to feel good about yourself and that there's somebody who's more of an idiot than you are out there, read my posts. Assuming I posted them by that point. Well, I'll tell you if you if they do read your post, they will they will get a chuckle out of it. I, I always do. I, I, I guess the reason I brought up the blog uh, partially was just kind of to ask the question of how relevant do you think blogging is these days? I mean, uh, uh, it is a time investment. You, you know, even if you do it at seven thirty in the morning a day of, and and what what's the you know what's the return on investment, so to speak? I would have to say that it's a platform. It, it allows me, you know, I, I make fun of it and, and you know, I do have the, the humorous post. But when there is something that is in the zeitgeist or something that's bothering me. Uh, so, you know, a few months ago it was, um, you know, diversity in publishing or Black Lives Matter. It's a platform. Um, I know that I can I can write what I want to write. I don't have to answer the question of the week. I can write from the heart. And I know there's an audience there. Um, and if you can reach people you know that that's that's the purpose for me if i otherwise i'm just shouting into the wind or i'm just tweeting 100 characters you know the blog allows me 
on those rare occasions where I have something to say, Frank, um, that I have the ability to say it or I have the platform to say it. Uh, and for me, that's very important. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, don't interpret by me asking the question that I don't value it for sure. I, I feel much the same. No, and, I, I, and I'll have to say that um, I'm kind of surprised that, uh, you know, I get to come and hang out inside the room there. It's like, uh, it's like, it's like being at a conference and there's a party up in, in the suite and somebody grabs you and says, hey, come on, let the, there's a party up here, uh, you, you know come along, you know, we'll let, we'll let you hang out with us. Like, well, I'm hanging out with Jim Ziskin and Katrina McPherson. And Oh, look, God, there's a Welsh lady over there. What's all oh, it's Kathy Ace. Oh my God. And then, I mean, everybody's so nice and cool and, and, you know, Dietrich and, you know, and, yeah. and, and everybody. And so I'd love, I'd love it if we could all actually get together um, soon. That would be lovely. Yeah, I think they did before our time or right maybe around the start of your time. They almost got everybody at one conference. Uh, so, you know, hopefully that'll happen soon. That would be cool to get a picture of all all 10 people. That would be wonderful. Uh, well, um, so I, before we go, I did want to touch on uh, just a reminder here that uh, the Windeman Banerjee series is going to have the fifth book uh, come 11-11 of the, this year, uh, Shadows of Men. Uh, now that one's set in about 1923. Um, right. Did I read correctly though that uh, uh, you mentioned that uh, Death in the East, the fourth book, is set partially in 1905 and that and and in the early career of of Sam Wyndham. That's um, right. Flashbacks. But is the current period there? Is that in 1922 or 27? Yeah. Okay. My handwriting sucks. It looks like a 27 here. So. <laughs> I'll explain. Um, you know, as I said, I was an accountant before I became a writer, and, and the first book was set in 1919. Um, my accountancy training taught me that the next one had to be 1920, uh, and then the next one after that was 21, and so we're, we're, we're doing it, you know, chronologically. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't know to do it otherwise, Frank. Uh, I've stuck in kind of the same rotation. My, my River City series was the first one I set it in 1994, and then, you know, I, and I've started skipping years and, and trying to slowly catch up uh, to current day because, you know, I'm, I'm writing police procedurals with, you know, right now, like 2001 is where the last one was at. Um, the technology is so different and the setting is so different and the profession has changed and I'd like mm -hmm. to catch it up. But uh, I don't think you're ever going to catch up unless you do some pretty massive jumps. I think you're right. Well, when I set out, I thought I'm going to write a book. Uh, I'm going to cover every year from 1919 to Indian independence in 1947. Um, it was only once I got started that I realized I'm from Glasgow and we have the lowest life expectancy in Europe. Uh, so there's no way I'm going to go to 1947. There's nothing um, wrong with the time leap. There's nothing wrong with the time leap at all. I think you're right. I'm going to have to in many, many years. Uh, well, the other thing I wanted to say before we go is just to, just to do a callback uh, to your podcast, The Red Hot Chili Writers. Um, as people... Uh, can tell from our conversation uh, you've got a great sense of humor and a great uh, on mic presence and that's certainly true you know in that podcast uh, not that it, it, it isn't serious at times as well uh, but it's a great listen and people should check it out um, and you know what it's, it's such an honor to be on your podcast um, uh, you know what you need to make this video because you are handsome right? <laughs> our podcast can stay just audio but you need one with video <laughs> Uh, well, I appreciate the props. I wouldn't want to disappoint, uh, disappoint any, uh, anybody out there when they find out that, uh, most Scots are completely full of shit. And, um, well, folks, uh, the author is Abir Mukherjee. Did I say that right? Mukherjee. Well, the English have mispronounced it for a hundred years. How do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the uh, series, the Wyndham and Banerjee series, uh, set in uh, uh, the Raj era of India. New one out in uh, November. Check out the podcast, Red Hot Chili Writers. Uh, Abir, I've been looking forward to talking to you again uh, for quite some time. Had a great time on your show. Had a great time talking to you today. And I really appreciate you coming on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And it's an absolute honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. 
All right, folks, uh, there you go. Uh, Abir Mukherjee, uh, his Wyndham and uh, Banerjee uh, series is one that is very high up on my uh, to-be-read list. I'm really looking forward to it. I wish I had gotten to it before our interview because I, I could have asked some more specific questions. But uh, as you heard, there wasn't any problem filling the time with conversation between the two of us. So I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and uh, I hope you check out his series. All right, on our next episode, we are going to talk to Elizabeth Splain. And uh, a side note, uh, Elizabeth is uh, actually cousins, it turns out, uh, with our previous guest, Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, We'll talk to her on the next episode of Wrong Place, A Right Crime. Uh, Frank Zafiro news for you. We are about a week away from the eviction of hope the Colin Conway edited anthology that I have a story in uh, that has just a super cast of writers. Check it out. Uh, Also on June 1st is uh, the official release date for the novel I wrote with Lawrence Kelter called No Dibs on Murder. Now, technically, it's uh, been out in soft release since April. I don't know. I screwed it all up, I guess. Um, It's it's been available for a while now uh, so that it could be featured on a couple of promotions. Uh, But June 1st was our official uh, release date uh, early on. Uh, If that's confusing, don't worry about it. Uh, The only thing you need to know is that this is a dark comedy. Tanner Fritz uh, has it all. He's handsome. He's good looking, uh, has a successful business, uh, married happily to a a beautiful, wonderful woman. With all that being true, why do his four friends want to kill him? Uh, Well, they all have their own reasons for it. And uh, I'll let you read about what those are. And once they decide to do him in for those reasons, uh, the next argument is, uh, well, who gets to do the deed? Based on the title, you can probably guess that uh, someone unsuccessfully called dibs, but there are no dibs on murder. Uh, again, this is a dark comedy uh, with highbrow and lowbrow humor in it and a little bit of mystery. It's uh, officially out on June 1st, but you can get it now. Uh, of course, you can find out about this or The Eviction of Hope both uh, at my website, franksafaro.com. I want to say a huge thanks to Abir for coming on the show. Uh, thanks to Down and Out Books for sponsoring. Uh, thanks to uh, the book recommenders, Danny Gardner, uh, David Hesco wombly wyden Dick Wybrow, and Jonathan Brown, drummer extraordinaire. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, and most of all, thanks to you, listener, uh, for tuning in, for following these conversations, for listening to me ramble, uh, and letting me share some of your time. Uh, I do appreciate it. Please, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends and neighbors, like, uh, share, do all that kind of stuff. It is much appreciated as well. Elizabeth Splain on our next episode. And until then, as always, this is Frank Zaffaro reminding you that sometimes... You gotta be in the wrong place to write crime.